You know, it was five years ago that Promise Church, five years ago, this Sunday, five years ago, we were announcing that we would be at, it would be two weeks away from starting at Chris Hadfield. We were in the library, and we're two weeks away from starting our church at Chris Hadfield. And we had no idea, no idea of what was coming. We were, we were you know, a, a young group of about 27 to 30 of us meeting in a library, you know, getting yelled at by the library people every week because either we took too long or took too much space or put signs in the wrong spot or whatever, but we didn't care because this is what God called us to do. And, uh, and we went from that library, and we went into Chris Hadfield on September 16th, 2018. And we started a church in a place that, that didn't really, it didn't feel like a church at first. It felt like a gym with blue floors and bright red chairs and the tables that are in front of you or behind you. And, and it didn't really feel like a church. It was something totally different, and we would do communion at our tables, and we would have table discussions, and we did forum Sundays, and, and, then, and, then, and then we got kicked out because of COVID. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we were like, wait, wait a second. We'd grown to about 100, 120 people. And COVID happened. At the time COVID happened, we had a total of 26 people on Slack. And COVID happened, and we had a church office at 71 Roughly Street. And uh, we, we, we live broadcast from 71 Love, uh, Roughly Street. We brought our soundboard in there. We just like, we're just going to do this. And, uh, and for a small church, we, we did a lot. We were engaged... Anybody, anybody here remember the Starbucks visits you get during, during COVID? You'd just get Starbucks visits, and here we would. We'd just come by and just deliver Starbucks to your door and connect and pray. And Man, what happened to that? Seriously. You know, I'll actually tell you what happened. Y'all went back to work. I show up at your door, nobody's there. I'm like, I guess that's more Starbucks for me. My wife's like, you've got an addiction. Anyways, so good times. God has taken us through a lot, and then we came here to this building, and, and, we, were, and we were working alongside Bradford United Church for way longer than anybody expected. Way longer than they wanted us to. Um, <laughs> And, and, we, and we worked alongside them, and we, and we, and we shared space, and we, and we did so much, and and now this space has now become our space that we're, that we're leasing. And, and here we are. We've taken a massive financial risk. Oh, man. God knows my prayer life has changed. Jeez. I used to pray for people. Um, but no, we're, we're praying and, and we're moving through. And God is faithful and he's doing good things. But it's not over yet. See, the landing of space isn't the end goal. It was never God's end goal. Getting a space and being in a permanent space is of benefit, thank God, 
for permanent space. Thank God that we can have an office here and a presence here, and, and we can do... <coughs> We can do the work that we're called to do here from 66 Berry Street. But the space was never the end goal. This church is a people-focused church. We are a people-facing church. That's why we have tables. That's why at Potlucks, everybody sits down in here and we just, and we just eat and chat and hang out. And that's why during our spiritual practices, we turn to the other people and we're people-facing. And so in every element, we are a people-facing church and healthy churches grow. Healthy churches grow. I'm going to start us off in Acts 26:33. Brothers... Sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, and they fulfilled them by condemning him, though they found him no, not, no guilt, worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. For many days he's appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers he has fully fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. God, I pray that we will be people that bring the good news. As we spoke about for 10 weeks in our evangelism sermon, as Nana got up here and testified that she can get up and pray in the, in the name of Jesus Christ at a, at a Christian Muslim wedding in front of many strangers. God, we bring the good news, and so Jesus, I pray that you would allow us to see the vision and the direction that you are calling us as a church. I pray that you would allow us to grapple with that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to note that on, um, on Slack, someone just really wanted to support uh, Devin and said, when it comes to service organization, we all win when Devin wins, amen. And uh, my daughter said that I forgot to mention about the time that we spent at the barn. And that's w worth remembering. When, when the lockdowns first lifted, we did our first service in person at the barn. And there was like literal dancing in the barn, like during the service. It was so awesome. God is so good. Here we find our text in the middle of one of the largest growth times of the church. Right at the beginning, the book of Acts shows us many things about the development of this new entity called the church, but it never gives us a straight answer. If you search the book of Acts, actually if you search the Bible, you will never find a straight answer about what church should look like. What's its structure? What does the building look like? What does church look like? We, there is not one answer in the Bible about the structure of what a church should look like. Um, and, and so there are hints, there's ideas, but there's nothing that's like, yes, this is what it should look like. It could be in big buildings, it could be in small buildings, tons of things. You know, it's not like the Old Testament where it's like, this is what the temple looks like. There's no set blueprint for what a church building looks like anywhere in the Bible. 
What I find helpful about the passage that we just read is how Paul positions his call to the people of Antioch. That's who he was addressing in the verse. He's addressing a people of Antioch. So I have to give you a little bit of a, of, a, of a history piece to let us set this verse in its proper context. Paul, who was from Tarsus, I always thought Tarsus was someplace in Israel. It's not. It's in Turkey. And, uh, and so Tarsus is, is at the top uh, eastern point of the Mediterranean Sea. And Antioch is just slightly southeast of Tarsus. So Antioch is a city that is 501 kilometers away from Jerusalem in a straight line. To walk from Jerusalem to Antioch, because they didn't have cars or planes, to walk from Jerusalem to Antioch in a uh, would take you through Jordan, Syria, Le and then Lebanon for a bit, back into Syria and into Turkey. It's a 700-kilometer walk. It would take you nine hours of walking every day, minus the Sabbath, 11 days. And that's walking 70 kilometers a day. So you want to understand 70 kilometers, walk from here to, um, to, the, to the shore of Lake Ontario, you're at about 60 kilometers. So there you go. There's a good day's walk for 11 days. That's what Paul would, would have done. So Paul is from Tarsus, and Antioch, is, um, and Antioch is, is about 250 kilometers from Tarsus, making a triangle from Jerusalem to Antioch to Tarsus. So it's a far way away from Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is run by Peter. Peter and James together ran the church in Jerusalem. And they were telling people about the gospel, but they were hitting huge resistance. And so Paul, going to Antioch, after he, after he sees the power of God in Scripture, he goes to Antioch and he approaches them. And watch what he does with his language he, he, says, he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. He's speaking to the Jews who do not any longer live in Jerusalem, who do not live in Israel. They've been pushed out through, through the diaspora, and they're up in Turkey. He's found a synagogue of believers. And he says, brothers... Sons of the family of Abraham. He roots them as Jews and says, you are, you are the people who God has called. And let me tell you the message of salvation. See, he's setting them up for something. He's setting them up for something that's really a really strong shift in the church. That this speech become central to. He identifies them as the people who are born of God and are faithful to God and says there's a message of salvation that has now come to them. There is a message of salvation that has come to us. We who are far away from Jerusalem, we who live in Bradford, Ontario, a message of salvation has come to us. And Paul is addressing that. He says, you are called by God. There's a special call. There is a corrective call when you get into this. There is a corrective call to be different 
than what other people have acted. To be fully different. So you notice it in the text. Look at this. Healthy churches grow. Acts 13, 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, they did not recognize him, Jesus, or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Here they are, the Jewish leaders who Paul had just identified. You brothers of Abraham, you are, you are Jewish people. And he, and he reflects on the Jews of Jerusalem and says, they didn't recognize the strength of the gospel. They didn't recognize the strength of the gospel. They were so busy doing church the way church had been done for hundreds of years. They didn't recognize the gospel anymore. They're reading the scripture. They're reading Sabbath. They're reading, they're reading it every single Sabbath. And they didn't recognize it. God help us. God help us. And Paul goes to this new church and says, please get it right. You got to do something different. You have to respond differently to the person of Jesus you have to respond differently. You've got to do something different. Paul's saying, look, the church in Jerusalem had a tough road because of Jewish leaders there. They didn't recognize Jesus. Paul's taking a huge risk here. He's inviting strangers. Remember, they live 500 kilometers away from Jerusalem, 250 from his main, his main place. And, and they're strangers, and he's taking a huge risk, and he's like, no, we're going to act differently towards Jesus. Healthy churches grow. And when healthy churches grow, when healthy churches grow, they change things. The, the church in Antioch answers the call because if you look down a couple hundred years or even a hundred years later, Antioch actually becomes the center of the church. The epicenter of the work of Jesus in the world today as we know it actually centers in Antioch. The Antiochian church, that's hard to say, the Antiochian church, Orthodox church, still exists today as a, as a banner under the Greek Orthodox church in Turkey. This church was central to Christianity spreading all throughout Europe. They answered the call. And the question is, will we answer the, the call because healthy churches grow? I'm going to leave Antioch. I'm going to leave the text, and I'm going to start bringing that here into what we're doing and where we're going. Promise is five years old. As I said, we've grown through COVID. As, as Gary put out, he just put a picture of our outdoor service. As you guys recall, if you were here, um, just a beautiful outdoor service that was hot as anything, if I remember. That was ridiculously hot. But it was good. We, we are distinct, but we're innovative. We do things differently. You guys are talking on Slack while I'm preaching. What church does that? We're doing it differently. 
You're sitting at tables because, because we need to be people-facing and not only listening to a random preacher who stands up on a high pulpit saying, I am the only one with the Word of God, but you're listening to something differently. And we're at a crossroads that needs to be communicated clearly. The church, the world, the church world is at a crossroads. And you'll read, if you ever, I, I study this. It was one of the pet peeves that I had when, when, or that my wife had with me before we got married. She's like, Rob, you just talk about church structure all the time. Bah, I'm so bored. Stop talking about it. I'm like, well, it's kind of my passion. But we're talking about it, and we discover that every church organization is looking for a new way to do church because the old way is broken. Churches are closing all over the place. We know this to be true. But the old model of church in the Western world is this. Success in a church is actually measured by two things. And you wish that one of them were Jesus, but it's not actually true. The first one is you're a successful church if there are lots of butts in the seats. It's the first B. Lots of butts in the seats. And lots of bucks in the plate. There's your two metrics of a healthy church. Now, obviously, they would say it goes without saying that you have to be focused on Jesus. And I've worked in many churches, and, I, and I've been partnered with many churches, and I don't know a church that doesn't, a, a, a good Christian church that doesn't believe in Jesus. They do believe in Jesus, but when it comes to organizational management, they look at dollars and people. In other words, you need to have something that's, that's successful enough. Every church is, is designed to continue this institution of the church, and its ultimate success is that if you could have 25,000 people in your church, then you are truly the man of God. Dang good job, pastor. You did so good. And, and this, is, this is it. And I mean, in Canada, we, we lower our sights a little bit. If you could get a church of 4,000 Oh, man, that's it. And what you have to do to get a church of 4,000 is it's a highly attractional program-oriented church. It's, it's got to be a church that has all the bells and the whistles. They've got to have a beautiful stage and lovely, dang it, lights. We don't even have light trusses. How can we be successful? Oh, shoot. I have plywood for a stage. My bad. There was a stage here. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Check Facebook. It's Facebook real. Um, there was a stage here, but it requires a front focus. It requires a large, huge personality that the preacher's amazing, that everybody's like, wow, that preacher's the best preacher ever. Sorry. It requires, it requires this, this whole ethos around a stage and then programs upon programs upon programs. Man, you got to have the right program for those single males in between 25 and 27 because there's just a niche market here that's just like, man, it's just thriving and it needs our attention. Sorry, Carl, you're dreaming. <laughs> you're too old for that group. So... We've got this, this inertia that's going around a church. It's got to be this high-level stage production. And to be honest, when we started Promise Church, Devin and I reflect on this sometimes, we thought Promise Church was going to be a big band church with lights and, like, all this stuff. We had this thought that, like, oh, this is what God's going to do. It's going to be this, like, 
movie theater type church or something really cool. And God's like, hey, Devin, lead worship on your own with a guitar. And Devin's like, I, I said I was going to sacrifice, but oh my goodness. But what's come out of it is beautiful. What's come from it is amazing. And so God's saying, you need to do something different. The model of the Western church, I would liken the model of the Western church to a really big tree. Huge tree. Everybody, when planting a tree, wants their tree to be like 65 feet tall and huge in diameter. And, and it's going to be this massive, huge tree. And, and the thing is, is the business world has the exact same model as the church. The more people, the more customers you attract, and the more dollars you have, then you've got a great business. The church is like, the more people I attract and the more dollars I have, then I have a great church. And if those are like big trees, then what you have is you have a whole bunch of forests. Some are churches, some are businesses, and you really can't tell the difference. It's just a forest of organizations. This Place is lovely. This building, this, this company gives tons of money to philanthropist efforts, and they're a great company, and that's so wonderful. And look at this church. It's the same. It does all this philanthropist stuff, and it's just wonderful. Oops. We look just like the world. Financially successful, just like the culture. Has a good marketing plan, just like the culture. Wants to get big and recognized and famous, just like culture. Has a lot of followers, customers, just like culture. Okay, so that's not Promise Church. Nobody comes to Promise Church because they go to, they go to the church that has the best preacher. Who wrote that? Val. <laughs> Did you get my notes? No one comes to Promise Church because Tr Promise Church has the largest worship band. We have a great worship band, but they're not the largest. No one comes because, they because we offer the best programs. The programs we offer are intentional, but they aren't flashy. Lou Paul called Antioch Jews to act differently, and God is calling Promise Church to act differently. Someone just wrote exactly what I'm, what I'm thinking. There's no way we could have a tight-knit community in a church if there were 4,000-plus people. That's absolutely crazy. Someone else just wrote, the truth of God's word and scripture is central to a successful church, not a building or how fancy their services look. Absolutely. So I'm going to go through some of the things that are guiding us. We value God and community and growth. Healthy churches grow, but we're not going to grow like a big tree in a forest. We're to grow like a box hedge. So a box hedge, um, I'm actually just ahead of myself. I'll get to that in a minute. I'll repeat that in a minute. So we are going to grow like a box hedge, and I'm going to give you pictures of that in a minute. But first, we value God. Other churches value God, and I'm not suggesting they don't. Most of my friends are pastors in these churches, and I have no beef with them. But we value God and what God is doing here and now with us at Promise Church, and that journey has, has been full of prayer. Full of prayer. This vision started birthing about a year ago, and, and it's been, we've been 
batting it around with the board. I've been, I've been fighting through it with the, with the staff. I hired an organizational management coach to, to help us through it. We have been diving into prayer on this vision, and, uh, and, and God is good. Second, we value community, and this is where the real breakthrough is happening. This is what makes Promise Church the church to be part of in this world. And I mean that. I mean, this church is the church to be a part of because of its value in God, in, in God and in community. The greatest need that is in our world in Bradford today is almost universal. Almost every single person in our community needs it right now. And that is the need for a tight-knit, trusted community that you can actually have real conversations with. How many people are sick of the superfluous small talk conversations where you just pretend that everything is okay, and these are all the conversations that people have? Our world is in desperate need of genuine community. Desperate need. And so we value that. And third, we value growth. But we need to be able to grow. How can we do that? See, because I'm... I'm I'm going to break out at this one for a bunch, so stay with me. Our previous vision statement was a community united to show that God with us, making all things right. And it's not bad, but it's wordy. And it's just a regurgitation of our mission statement, foreshadow the fulfillment of God's promises. But the greatest need in Bradford is community. Community is best answered not in programs, but in relationships. God is engaging us. God is meeting with us. And us meeting faithfully together is our expression of united community. We come to meet with God, and we're meeting with each other, even when we annoy the snot out of each other. And trust me, I've, I know. I've annoyed some of you. She was with you all week at the cottage. There's no way you didn't plant that as well. Look at Slack, like this, this whole thing, this whole thing, just, just talking, someone's preaching here, a, a really good point, that the, the key to success in personal life in the church is found in Proverbs 15, 33, honor comes before humility, or sorry, before honor comes humility, yes, that one. Like, this is huge. So, healthy churches grow, but if we grow like a tree in the forest, by measuring bucks and butts, we will not be recognizable. As, as the person on Slack said, a church of 4,000 would break our community. We would lose our connections and our community, and it would be a disaster. So that is not our growth plan. We don't want to sacrifice the value of community for the value of growth. So the model put in front of us of the big tree, the institution of the big tree, appears to have made that distinction. Healthy churches grow. We value God, community, and growth. So here is our four-word vision statement. Every community experiencing God. Every community experiencing God. The greatest need in Bradford today is a sense of God and community. And we can't be a church of 4,000 people because it would break the very essence of what's brought us all together. 
But the need is so great, so what are we going to do? Every community experiencing God. Instead of planting huge trees, we want to plant healthy, small, box hedge churches. So what does a box hedge have to do with church and this discussion? So a box hedge cuts a landscape in a garden. If you look at what a box hedge does, it, it's, it's, when you walk into a traditional English garden, you notice the rich colors of flowers in each of the garden sections. You notice, that, you notice that everything has its proper space. Overall, the garden is stunning to the eyes. And you know what? Few people stop to take note of what frames the garden, and that is, of course, the box hedges. The box hedge cuts the landscape. It defines where things belong and where they don't belong. It creates order in the midst of the floral chaos. The box hedge shows where people walk are to walk and where they're definitely not to walk. It gives examples of healthy boundaries by, by being healthy boundary. It's manicured. Oh my goodness. Box hedges, box hedges when not taken care of, grow everywhere. They're a vibrant plant that just make a mess. So it's manicured. It's intentional. It's put together properly. And it's absolutely necessary in our North American culture. The culture we live in is an unmanicured garden of chaos. You can do anything, grow anywhere, do anything, be anything, be whatever you want. Doesn't matter. And, and you get this like, here's a flower. And it's just, there it is. And on top of it, there's six other flowers trying to push them out of the way. And all the flowers, all the people in our culture are trying to find their proper space. And they're being choked out by each other. And everybody's going, when will I be discovered? When will I be valued? When will somebody notice where I belong? Is that my responsibility to just cut out a space for me? No. No. The church. See, our culture suffocates because of lack of structure and lack of planning. You're all left to be your own individual. Sort it out for yourself. I have never seen a time in, in history where we put so much pressure on teenagers to figure it out all for themselves when the people with the experience and the wisdom have already walked before them and then they just go, oh, teenagers, you just sort it out yourself. Mark your own path. And the teenagers are going like, how am I supposed to do that? It's hopeless. I can't get anywhere. Nobody's supporting them as they're, oh yeah, we'll, we'll affirm you. We'll come alongside you, make you feel good about the fact that you don't actually have a place yet because nobody has given you a place yet. An unmanicured garden of chaos. We need Someone who can say, this is how God sets it up. How will we discover such beauty and such talent in such a cultural chaos mess? And the answer is the church. We're called to be a box hedge. Letting every community experience God. To be found and identified by Jesus Christ. To allow people to flourish and see who they really are, and to, to have a healthy role in their community and what they can bring. 
To give each person space to breathe in the role that God has set them in. Each person space to thrive in the valued place inside of a community that they know that they belong to and they matter. You matter, and we need our churches to show that. The church is a box hedge that gives everything its place and its identity. It's not just one box hedge, but there are many box hedge plants that work together. Inside of the garden, we need to stay small and stay active and multiply. One box hedge is something, but when you put multiple box hedges beside each other, then everybody notices you you don't cross that hedge line or that hedge line is going to make you live differently. Instead of trying to get a thousand people here at 66 Berry Street and us losing our identity, God's calling us to plant another church in Bradford. I know. Nobody plants two churches in the same town. I know. I've studied church structure. We got over that. God's telling us that we plant small churches and we say, inside this part of Bradford, inside this community, say Dreamfield, for example, we plant a church that targets Dreamfield. It'd be a community of 100, 120 people where everybody has their role, everybody has their space, everybody can flourish, everybody's plugged in, that communicates the love of Jesus to that community. A community pocket of 4,000 people having a church of 120, serving it, being the incarnation of Jesus, being Christ's presence right there in those streets. We keep this one here, 66 Berry Street, being the incarnation of God's presence here to this, to this community. And we start to breathe with what God's calling us to do. Every community experiencing God. See, we're called to be these box hedges. Small, targeted, defined churches with focus and intentionality. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk in depth about what it means to be a church plant. We're going to talk about three things that we need for us to be successful. So don't miss them. They're crucial because Paul's conversation leads the church in Antioch to do something different. And I'm calling us to do something different. Planting churches in town where we say, hey, we have this. Cool. Let's go set it up for other people as well. Let's set this up for other people. And let's go out into another place in, in our town and say, hey, let's go. Let's, let's engage this. So as an organization, this is, this is what God's putting on our heart. And people are like, oh, well, does that mean, does that mean we're going to split this congregation in two? Nope. No, we're not. We're going to stay here because this is who, what God's created us to be. We're going to do what God told us to do. Continue to have integrity. Continue to do promise grants. Continue to be here worshiping on a Sunday. Continue to, to be a part of this community and allow God to raise up leaders that are going to go do it again in this new space. We'll share. We'll support. We'll send. We'll, we'll raise money. We'll be like, yes, let's go do it because, because it's yet another box hedge. I estimate that over the years, and I'm not putting times on this because God isn't putting times on this yet, but over the years, God is going to establish multiple churches, just healthy communities, reaching their neighborhoods, every community experiencing God. We could paint the entire town yellow with promised church signs 
in every portable space that we could find, just showing up and saying, God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He is calling to you. He loves you, and he wants to restore you. And that's the gospel that we share. And I couldn't be more excited because, yes, we have to grow, but no, we can't blow this up because this is exactly the image that God thought of where we could all be here together. And I'm just so encouraged. I'm blessed to be a part of it. So I'm going to end off in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. As I said, this doesn't have a timeline on it. I've got ideas. I'm throwing out ideas. But at this point, this is the first time you're hearing about this. I love this. This image. It's, or, it's, it's clean. It's organic. It's the exact type of thing that God loves and he creates. He brings order into chaos. Let's pray. God, for every single person who is tired or weary or feels like, I don't know where I belong, Holy Spirit, I pray that they would experience you inside of this church community. That inside of this church community, that they would know that they absolutely belong here, that they have an important role, that they are called to be here, that they are making a difference. God, I pray that you would work inside their hearts and bring wholeness and inclusion, that they would know that this place of gathering on a Sunday morning is more than just a religious practice that we do, but this is actually part of our identity. I am found here. I am known here. I am important here. And Jesus, I pray that we would know that and that we would only know that in light of you. You are important here. You have been found here. And Jesus, I pray that we would, that we would be found together in you as we walk forward. And Jesus, we move into this box hedge. God, I pray that this church would be a healthy church, that we would understand what it is to be healthy so that we can multiply into this town for your glory as we continue to foreshadow the fulfillment of your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.